we have a New Year meeting, of course. We usually like to have a theme for the meeting, a theme for the New Year that is quickly approaching. So when I talked to Carter about the meeting and about the theme, I kept thinking about this chart that you see behind me and you can see up on the screen. That chart right there was given to me by Brother Jim Winchester in Stockton, California several years ago and his father made that chart. His father was a preacher and also a painter and you can see how beautiful this chart is. And he made that chart back in the 1960s and preached it all over uh, California. And it's been in a box for a long, long time. And Brother Jim decided to give that to me and I appreciated that so much. When I got it, I thought how beautiful it is. Even though it's as old as it is, it's still beautiful and vibrant. You can see, I hope you can see, that there is a, maybe I'll step to the side a little bit right here. There's a candle in a window. And then there are some wonderful words, peace, unity, courage, fulfillment, escape, faith, hope, and assurance. And then the title is, There's a Light in God's Window. So I thought, what a beautiful chart, and I want to use it in my preaching. But I asked Jim, I said, uh, what was the sermon about? Did your dad have a story about someone lost in the woods and in the darkness, and finally he saw a light in a window? Was that the story that was the introduction to the sermon or was there some scripture that he used about a light in a window? I couldn't think of one specifically about a light in a window. And Brother Jim said, I don't remember. He said, I was just a little boy. I don't remember. So I thought, what am I going to do with this? I love the chart. And so I kept thinking about it. And finally, I kept thinking about Daniel praying with his windows open over there in Persia. And Daniel, of course, was a light in God's window to the world. Now, we talked about Daniel a little bit last night when he was a 15-year-old boy. But now, listen, 70 years have passed. Daniel was in Babylon for all these years. Babylon has fallen. The Persians have defeated the Babylonians. And so Daniel now is about 85 Years old, if not older. He's an old, old man. But listen, even though he's an old man, he's still just as resolute. His courage is just as bright as it was when he was a teenage boy. And the Bible says that Darius was the king of the Medes and the Persians, and he was setting up his government. He had 120 governors, 120 governors, over 120 different provinces. We're talking about a vast empire. And then he wanted to put over these 120 governors three presidents. That's the word used in the King James translation. One of these men was Daniel. So Daniel, even though he's 85 years old, and two other men are chosen by King Darius to be presidents over the governors. And the Bible says that Daniel distinguished himself. The Spirit of God was in him. He was honest. He was industrious. And King Darius recognized that. And so the Bible says he was thinking about promoting Daniel over the other presidents. Notice, he hasn't promoted him yet. But he's thinking, I'm going to uh, take this man, Daniel, and make him over all the other presidents. I assume he told somebody that because listen when the other two presidents 
And all the governors heard this. They thought, no way. They thought, that old Jew, he's going to take that old man and make him over us? They thought, we're not going to allow that. And so you know what they did? They set up a committee to investigate Daniel. Now, we're used to committees, right? Right now in Washington, D.C., there's all kinds of committees doing all kinds of investigations. Maybe in Mississippi, there are investigations going on. But you know what happens sometimes with these committees and these investigations? They investigate one thing, and they can't find any evidence, so they investigate something else. And that's what happened here. This committee began to investigate Daniel. Daniel's been in government for 70 years. He's been working for 70 years. Surely there's some kind of malfeasance. Surely there's some kind of corruption, but they can't find anything. Not one bit of malfeasance or corruption. So they come to a dead end. So what do they do? They turn to his religion. Yeah, they say if we can't get him in his work, we'll get him in his religion. You see, Daniel served Jehovah. He served the true God. He didn't serve the gods of the Babylonians. And that was a conflict constantly from the time he was a teenager even until now. And they had observed that Daniel put his God over the gods of the Babylonians and the Persians. And even over the king. Darius was considered a god himself. And so they thought, you know what? If we can create a discrepancy between Daniel's loyalty to King Darius and to his God, we can bring him down. So that's what they did. This is kind of interesting to me. You know, I wonder and I worry about people that don't see humor in the Bible. We have a very humorous scene in Daniel chapter 6. The Bible says Darius is sitting on his throne and the door opens and the Bible says, in come the 120 governors and the two presidents and they throng him. That's what the New King James says. They rush in there. Think about this, 122 government officials, and they just throng around him, and they're all excited. And I guess he thinks, what's going on? And they say, listen, king, we have written a decree that we want you to sign. Now listen, they've come up with a pretty clever plan. They really have. They said, here's what it says. For 30 days... Nobody in your kingdom can pray to any god but you. Now, you're a god, Darius, so nobody can pray to any god except you. I think Darius' head kind of swelled up. He kind of thought that sounds uh, like a pretty good proposition. And they said, by the way, if anybody does pray to any god except you, he'll be thrown to the lions. Now, listen, these kings back then were despots. Human life meant nothing to them. And Nebuchadnezzar kept an incinerator. Remember we talked about that last night. Well, Darius kept a pit of lions. And they were kept hungry. And if anybody got on his bad side, he'd just feed them to the lions. So they said, if anybody disobeys the injunction, he'll be thrown to the lions. Now, Darius had no idea they had Daniel in mind. If he had, he would never have signed this. He loved Daniel. But he signed the decree. Now, we come now to, I think, one of the greatest scriptures in the Old Testament. Daniel 6 and verse 10. Listen to what this scripture says. When Daniel knew, the decree was signed. Notice now Daniel is not acting out of ignorance. He knows the law. 
He knows the penalty. When Daniel knew that the decree was signed, he went upstairs to his apartment, either a second or third story apartment. He went upstairs and he got on his knees with his face toward Jerusalem and he prayed to God three times that day, just like he'd always done from days of old with his windows open toward Jerusalem. I believe that's one of the greatest passages in all the Word of God. I want to dissect it. I want us to take a real close look at this passage. First of all, let's notice that Daniel got on his knees to pray. Now, he's 85 years old. 85 years old, and he's on his knees praying to God. I can remember, and some of you that are older, I'm sure, can remember, when I was a boy, when we would have prayer led in the assembly like we did just a moment ago, all the men got on their knees. And some of the women got on their knees. Now, we don't do that much anymore. I'll tell you, for me, it's kind of hard for me to get on my knees on this concrete floor. And I'll tell you what's even more difficult is to get up after being down, after some folks pray a long prayer. That prayer wasn't a real long prayer, but even then. And I'm not saying we have to get on our knees. Listen to the Bible. We can read about people standing and praying, sitting and praying, laying on the ground and praying. And so there's no posture that's required. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something about getting on your knees. There's something about bowing down on your knees before God and praying. We need to do that. May I suggest tonight, before you go to bed, when you say your prayers, get down on your knees. There's something about getting on your knees and kneeling before God. This old 85-year-old man got down on his knees. The Bible said he did that three times that day. And this was his custom, the Bible says. You remember what David wrote? David said, Lord, I will lift up my voice to you in the morning and at noon and in the evening. And obviously Daniel had this same custom. Now we can pray three times, four times. We can pray as many times as we need to pray. But there's something about a habit. You know, sometimes people say, I need to pray more, but I just can't find the time. I need to read the Word of God more, but I can't find the time. Well, develop a habit every morning before you go about your daily business. Read a passage and pray. At noon, before or after you eat lunch, get off and pray. Every evening, certainly before you go to bed, pray. And listen, a habit in your body becomes a habit in your heart. And so Daniel, three times every day, prayed to God. Did you notice the Bible said he prayed toward Jerusalem? Now what's that about? I used to wonder, what was the deal of praying facing Jerusalem? Well, that was home. That's where Daniel had learned about God. That's where his parents were buried. That's where the temple stood. It doesn't stand any longer because Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. That's home. And Daniel's an old man, but he hasn't forgotten home. He's not forgotten his parents. He's not forgotten the temple. He's not forgotten what he learned as a boy. I want to say something to the boys and girls in this assembly. Listen to you young men and young women. We love you. We're so glad you're here. Don't you ever forget home. One of these days you're going to leave home. Maybe go off to college. Maybe get married, move away. Don't you forget 
what your mom and daddy taught you. Don't you forget what you learned in your home congregation. Don't ever forget home. And Daniel never did. Old, old man. And he's still thinking about Jerusalem. And he prays with his, with his face toward Jerusalem. But then, and I really want to focus on this, and this is really uh, the marvelous thing about Daniel. He opened up his windows. He got down on his knees, faced Jerusalem three times every day, and he opened up his windows. Now, he didn't have to do that. In fact, let me just uh, say that if it had been me, I'm not sure I would have done that. Now, you know what? If our government were to pass a law, and you know, I used to think this was uh, theoretical, but I'm not so sure anymore. If our government were to pass a law saying we couldn't pray, we better not be caught praying or we'll be under arrest. I believe I have enough faith, and I believe you do too, that we keep on praying. But now I'm not sure I'd open my windows. I'll just be honest. You know, Jesus talked about going into your closet and pray. I mean, there's no need to open up your windows and just let them see and come and get you. That's what Daniel did, though. You know what I'm convinced of, brethren? I'm convinced Daniel wanted them to see. He did this on purpose. He left his windows open, and he wanted them to know that he was praying to God. Well, listen, down there in the bushes, they were watching. All of them, I guess. Can you imagine? 122 of them down in the shadows, and they're looking up at that window, and they see a light in that window. It's Daniel on his knees praying to God. They run to the king. They throng him again. I guess the king thinks, here they come again. What's going on? And I want you to watch how subtle and evil these men were. They come into King Darius, and they say, uh, King Darius, didn't you the other day sign a decree that nobody could pray to any god but you? Didn't you sign something like that? Well, they knew he had that. They wrote the law. He said, well, of course I signed that decree. They said, Daniel, that man that you love so much that you're thinking about making over the government, we caught him praying to his God. Now, throw him to the lions. Listen, I'm going to tell you, Darius was upset with these men and with himself too. And he did everything he could to get out of this. He called his lawyers in. They looked over the document. But there was no way they could get out of it. And so these men kept saying, you've got, you're the king. The law has to be executed. So finally, Daniel is called. What a scene this is. Old Daniel walking and the king walking along beside him. And finally they come to the den of lions. Now you know what? I love this story. And I try to visualize what it looked like. And I used to think that this pit had some steps that went down. And Daniel walked down the steps to the pit. But of course it could not be that way because the lions could have come up the steps. So it was just some kind of a pit, a deep pit. And so the only way anybody could get down there is to be thrown down there. Or maybe they might tie a rope around them and lower them down. And so just before Daniel is either thrown in are lowered down into the pit, Darius turns to Daniel. Now this is Darius, the old heathen king. Now listen to what he says. He said, Daniel, don't you worry. Your God that you serve continually, he will deliver you from those lions. You talk about a light to Persia, a light in the darkness. 
Daniel had obviously had a real influence on the thinking of King Darius. Well, they lowered him down into the pit. It's dark down there in the pit. You can hear the lions growling. The saliva is dripping from their mouths. They're hungry. They're ready for their evening meal. And Daniel is lowered down. And then they have some kind of a covering, the Bible says, and they cover it up. And Darius goes to his room, but he can't sleep. He walks the floor all night. No music. Nobody tries to help him sleep. He stays up all night. You know, I've often thought that probably those 120 governors and the other two presidents, they probably stayed up all night too. Probably rubbing their hands together and thinking, we've got rid of him, and they probably couldn't wait for the morning. Nobody can sleep except Daniel. Now, the Bible doesn't say he was asleep. It may be that he was awake all night. But you know, I've often thought that Daniel probably slept like a baby. Because listen, God sent an angel, the Bible says. And that angel told those lions, stay back. Don't you touch this man. They were hungry. The saliva was dripping from their mouths. But that angel said, don't you touch this man. And whether he stayed awake or he slept, he was saved. Well, finally the sun came up. Darius came back down. He said, take away the covering. It's dark. He can't see down there. It's dark down in that pit. So he says, Daniel, did your God save you from the lions? Daniel shouted back up and said, O king, live forever. That's what you said to kings back then. O king, live forever. Last night, God sent an angel. Notice, by the way, one angel. Didn't take a bunch, just one. God sent an angel. And he stopped the mouths of the lions. And no hurt is found to me because I'm innocent before God and I'm innocent before you, O king. Of course, the king knew that. All the kings had to. He says, get him out of there. So I guess they dropped down a rope and they pulled the old man out. Now, I told you these kings were despots. Human life meant nothing to them. King Darius turned to his soldiers and said, go get those men. Go get my 120 governors and those other two presidents and their wives and their children and bring them here. So they brought all of them and he said, throw them in. And listen, they threw these men in with their wives and their children. You know what the Bible says? They didn't touch the bottom. The Bible says before they hit the bottom, those lions jumped up and had the mastery of them. You talk about bones crunching and you talk about blood and a gory sight, an awful sight. I can't even explain how awful it was. And then, as if that were not enough, the king said, give me some paper. And he wrote down a decree. You can read it right there in the latter part of Daniel chapter 6. It's a wonderful decree. He said, I want every person in my vast empire to know that there's no God like the God of Daniel. And you will fear and you'll bow down before the God of Daniel. And listen, as we said uh, last evening, the name of God, the true God, was exalted and magnified because an old man, one old man stood up for his convictions and he was a light to the Persian Empire. I'm going to tell you something. He's a light today. Daniel is still a light today. And listen, Daniel's not just a light to Christians and Jews, but even in Islam. Even in Islam, they consider Daniel to be a great prophet. By the way, 
We just came through a part of the year where people celebrate the birth of Jesus. Remember the wise men, the magi, who came? They said, we saw a star, and they came. Where is he that's born king of the Jews? Where did those men from Iraq, where did they get the idea that a king was going to be born in Jerusalem? Well, they got it from Daniel. That's where they got it. Daniel was a magi. He was a wise man, and he predicted and prophesied about the very time. Remember the 70-week prophecy? He predicted and showed the very exact time when the Messiah would come, and the Jews didn't understand it. Certainly King Herod didn't understand it, but these wise men understood it. And they said, we've come looking for the one that's born king of the Jews. You talk about a light. Daniel was a light throughout that generation and subsequent generations. And he is a light today. Daniel was a godly man and thankful through his days. He never failed to pray to God and give him all the praise. His trials were so many and he was tempted sore. But he was saved by righteousness and the godly cloak he wore. Interpreting the royal dreams through wisdom from on high, he ever gave the praise to God as his life did verify. In the fiery furnace and in the lion's den, the flames were stayed, the jaws were set before oppressing men. But he emerged triumphant, for God was ever near. He guards his children from all harm when danger does appear. Upon my knees, I pray that God will make me thankful too. I pray that God will make me like Daniel and see me through. That's what I pray. I pray God would help me to be like Daniel. I want to be like Daniel. Don't you? I know you do. We want to be a light in this world like Daniel was a light in his time so long ago. But now for a few more minutes, just a few more minutes, I want to get a little more specific. Daniel was a light. In what sense was Daniel a light? Well, first of all, I believe Daniel was a light of honesty and integrity. Remember, they conducted this investigation and they could find no malfeasance. They could find no corruption. He was a completely, totally honest man. He was a light of honesty. And I believe that's what we need to be. That's what we long to be as well. One of my favorite scriptures is 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, I would therefore that Prayers and supplications and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. It's our obligation to pray for our president, whoever our president is. Whether you like the president or not, our obligation is to pray for those in authority. What do we pray, though? What did Paul say we should pray? He said, we pray that we may lead quiet, and peaceful lives in all godliness and honesty. We pray that God will overrule our rulers so we can be unhindered and we can worship and we can preach and we can lead quiet lives in godliness and honesty. Now this word honesty is an interesting word. It comes from a Greek word which in the New King James translation is translated reverence. It means dignity. It means honor. It means good report. It means the highest moral standard. Listen, we are people who should have the highest moral standard. Of all the people in the world, of all the people right here in Brookhaven, Mississippi, we should be people of the highest moral standard. We should be known 
for our honesty and our integrity. Most of you know my brother Billy, who uh, is a preacher, lives up in Springfield, and he told me several years ago that he was driving down the highway and he wasn't paying attention to the speed limit and he got over the speed limit and a highway patrolman pulled him over. And the highway patrolman came up to his car and said, I want you to get out and come back to my car. Well, that worried him, of course. So he got out and went back and got in the car with the patrolman. And the patrolman looked at him and said, why were you speeding? Just like that. Billy said, well, he said, why were you speeding? Tell me right now, why were you speeding? Kind of shook my brother up. So he said, well, he tried to explain. The man said, tell me why you were speeding. Wouldn't let him answer. Finally, Billy got to answer and he said, well, I guess I was thinking about something else and I just uh, wasn't watching and I just uh, inadvertently got over the speed limit. He said, this patrolman said, you know what? It's a good thing you were honest because I made up my mind when I pulled you over that if you had lied or you'd made excuses, I was going to give you a ticket. But because you were honest, he said, I'm going I'm to just give you a warning and let you go. And of course, Billy was glad that he told the truth. But listen, we should tell the truth no matter what the consequences may be. We should be known as people of honesty and integrity. Can I give a personal illustration? It's just an illustration. I was in a meeting in Kentucky a few years ago, and they had me in a motel right next to a Walgreens. And I walked over there one day. I had to buy something. I don't remember what it was. But it wasn't very much. It was like $2.50. And I gave the, the clerk a $5 bill. And he gave me back some change. I didn't pay any attention. I just stuck it in my pocket. Well, I started walking back to the motel, and I pulled the money out, and I had $7 and some change. So I did a little calculating, and I thought, he thought I gave him a, a 10. I gave him a 5. He gave me more money than I gave him. Well, of course, I just turned around, went back, found the clerk. I said, listen, you gave me too much money. I explained the situation. He looked his records over and said, oh, that's right. He said, I'm so glad you came back. That would have showed up on my record this evening. He said, you know, not many people will do that. He just thanked me over and over. And I told him, I said, well, I told him I was a preacher, but I said, I'm also a Christian. And I couldn't have slept tonight. I had to come back. Now, I know you've done that too. It's just an illustration. But you know, we should be known. People ought to know that we are people who have the highest moral standards. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, swear not at all. Now in the Old Testament, they could swear, but they had to swear by God, and they had to keep their oath. But Jesus said, swear not at all. We don't swear by God. We don't swear at all. In fact, Jesus went on to say, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And let me say something about our wonderful country. I am thankful we still live in a country where we're allowed to stand by our religious convictions. And we don't have to swear. When I was teaching school, I was called into court to testify about some cases of students. And I told the judge, I, I cannot swear because I'm a Christian. I will affirm. And you know what? In our country, 
And I've, I'm sure you've signed documents before where it says, I swear or affirm. So we can stand by our convictions. And we should do that no matter what. But we should be known as people, we don't need to swear. We're not putting our hand on the Bible and swear by God or something else. We tell the truth. Daniel was a man of honesty and integrity. He was a light. And we need to be lights of honesty and integrity as well. But next, Daniel was also a light of purity. I'm sure they not only investigated his business activities, but his personal life. And they couldn't find any impurity at all to accuse him of. That's amazing. Have I said this already? I've wondered about this, though. If some of my enemies, or some of yours, decided to embarrass me, if people where you work or your neighbors decided to embarrass you and they conducted an investigation, could they find something? Is there something in your business life or your personal life? They couldn't find anything in Daniel's life. Now we need to strive to be like Daniel. I quoted this scripture last night, but I want to quote it again with a little bit different emphasis. One of my favorite passages, Ephesians chapter 5 Verses 3 and 4, Paul says, But fornication and all uncleanness, let it not be once named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. Now last night, I emphasized the word fitting or appropriate. There are certain things not appropriate for us as Christians. We're to be lights. But did you notice that Paul said these things shouldn't be named once? among us. Now the Lord knows that we're in the flesh. And we stumble and we make mistakes. And God forgives us when we repent. But our goal should be that not once should these things be named among us. That's our goal, right? We want to be a light like Daniel. Can I give another personal illustration? Will you bear with me? When I was uh, in high school, I worked in a grocery store. And I enjoyed that. I worked with a bunch of boys about my age, and I really enjoyed working with those guys. And I liked them, and they liked me. Now, they, they all drank. Almost all of them drank. And they did a lot of things that I didn't participate in. But I liked them. I liked working with them, and they liked me. They knew that I didn't drink, and I didn't do those things. I was a young, aspiring preacher back then. They knew that. Well, one day I was working on an aisle. I was stocking groceries. And they kind of thronged me, kind of like these guys did Darius. Here they are, about 10 or 15 of them came, and they surrounded me. I thought, what's going on? They said, Jerry, we're going camping this weekend. We're going up in the mountains and going camping. I can't remember. I guess we were all off that weekend. I don't know. But anyway, they said, we want you to go with us. They said, now, we know you don't drink, and... You're not going to do that, and we probably will. They, they told me we're probably going to do that, but we need a designated driver. Now, they didn't use that term. We didn't have that term back then, but they said, we need somebody to watch out for us, and we know you'll watch out for us. Well, I told them, I said, guys, I don't think so. I'd kind of enjoy that, but no. They said, yeah, Jerry, come on. We need somebody to look out for us. You know, I wanted to go. I think I would have enjoyed it. I mean, camping. With him. And I, I really like those guys, except for the drinking and stuff. But I thought, you know what, if I go, 
They're going to drink. They're going to do all. I knew they were going to do all these things, and I thought I just don't need to go. So I did not go with them. You know, I told that illustration right there. I was in a meeting in Kentucky here a few years ago, and I gave the invitation. I preached this sermon, told that illustration. And this young man came forward. He was in his 20s and sat on the front row. And I sat down beside him, and I said, what can I help you with? And he said, I need to make a confession. Because he said, here recently, my boss where I work took all the employees to a Leonard Skinner concert. And he said, uh, during the concert, my boss and all the guys that were with us started drinking. They all got drunk. He said, no, I didn't drink, but I ended up being the designated driver. Had to drive everybody home. He thought, you know, after you said what you said, he said, I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have been there, and I need to ask God to forgive me. Well, I had prayer for him, you know. After services, I found him at the back, and I said, you know what? I like Leonard Skinner, some of their songs, Sweet Home Alabama. And I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong to go to some of these concerts, but you know what? We know what goes on to some of these concerts, don't we? We know what's going on there. And we're supposed to be lights, right? We're supposed to be lights in this world to the people we work with and our neighbors and our friends. Like Daniel, may God help us to be a light in purity. Well, thirdly and lastly, Daniel was a light of conviction. Daniel knew the law. He knew the penalty. But Daniel said, I'm going to pray. No matter what the government threatens, no matter what the penalty, I'm standing by my convictions. And he was a light because of that. Talking about, I've mentioned Kentucky a couple of times, I think, already. There's a, an old cemetery in downtown Lexington where some of the old uh, restoration preachers are buried. J.W. McGarvey, John T. Johnson, and Raccoon John Smith. Raccoon John Smith was quite a preacher and quite a character, baptized hundreds, thousands of people in his career. And so uh, I went to that cemetery, and there's kind of a, an obelisk, a pretty tall tombstone. And I copied down the words written on that tombstone on this piece of paper right here. It's all I could find I had at that time. And I want to read them to you. Here's what's written on Raccoon John Smith's tombstone. John Smith, by the way, I don't know if he's related to any of you Smiths, but his name was John Smith. He was born October the 15th, 1784. He died February 28, 1868. It says he was true, genial, and pious. The good loved and all respected him. By the study of the word of God, he gave up the creed of his fathers for the sake of that word. By its power, he turned many from error and in its light he walked, and in its consolations he triumphantly died. Isn't that beautiful? You know what that's talking about when it talks about he gave up the creed of his fathers? He was raised in a denomination, and he was sprinkled as a baby. But he heard about Alexander Campbell and some of those other restoration men who were preaching the truth about baptism and restoring the gospel and he obeyed the gospel and he began to preach. And he was uh, as successful as any preacher. Well, he'd been away from 
his home for a while and he came back and his mother said, John, sit down right there. So he sat down and his mother said, John, I've heard some things about you. You've become a Camelot. And I understand that you are preaching that doctrine of baptismal regeneration. And that's not what we believe. That's not what I raised you to believe. She said, I want you to give that up and I want you to come back and believe what I taught you to believe. Well, this is a mother he's talking to. What do you say to your mother? Well, he said, Mother, I'll do that if you do something for me. She said, Well, what's that? He said, I'll quit preaching what I'm preaching if on the day of judgment you'll answer God for me. She said, Well, John, I can't do that. She said, No. He said, No, you can't. And I can't preach anything except what I can read in the Word of God. And I've got to keep preaching what I can read in the Word of God. Do you know he stood by his convictions and he converted his mother and baptized his mother? That's what happens when you stand by your convictions. We need to be a light in this world. And we need to let people know that we believe in God's Word and we're going to stand for God's Word no matter come what may. May God help us to be a light to shine out like old Daniel did so long, long ago. Are you shining tonight, shining brightly? Are you going to shine right in to this new year? With the help of God, you can. Are you a Christian? Have you been baptized into Jesus Christ? Has the light of Jesus shone into your heart? It can. If you believe in Jesus and you repent and confess His wonderful name, you can be immersed into Jesus Christ, have your sins forgiven, and rise up a new creature, and then let Jesus shine in your life. And be the light that Jesus would have you to be. Are you a child of God and you're not shining tonight? You need to make a confession. We'll pray with you and for you and help you. And God will forgive you. The Lord loves you. We do too. And we ask you to come as we stand and sing this song. Be